Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yoma, daf Lamatet, page 39. With page 39, we begin the fourth parak, the fourth chapter of Masachet Yoma. Um, and ironically enough, I would say, the this chapter is going to spend a good amount of time talking about the goats. Now, the reason I say ironically enough is because it the the chapter introduces the goats as if, we've never, as if we haven't been talking about them for the past several t- pages. But it really does begin like almost, well, literally a new page. Um, okay, so the Mishnah, the top of the Daf Lamentet, is a Mishnah which talks about exactly the how they would choose by lottery, by goral, by um, chance, which goat would go for which, which would go to Hashem and which would go to Azazel. So there's a some kind of receptacle, some kind of um, I don't know box or so you know. I, I picture the the lottery, you know, that when they press the button and all the balls jump around, right? But in this case, there's just two lots that are put in this receptacle to switch around, um, and one says on it to God, Hashem, and the other says to Azazel. So how would this work? The Kohen would then stick his hands into this receptacle to pull out, you know, the two names. Uh, so, and, and he has standing next to him, he's got the Skan, the Skan Kohen Gadol, next to him on his right. And the Rosh Beit Av, this is another, you know, dignitary in the Beit HaMikdash, is standing to him on, next to him on his left. Im shall shame Allah bimino. Meaning, each of these gentlemen who'd be standing to the side, to the right or to the left, would see when he pulls out his hands and he opens his hands and he says, and he sees that, you know, in the right hand or in the left hand would be the lot that has on it written the name of Hashem, that, that person, meaning the one standing to the side, to that next to the hand that has the lot with the name of Hashem would say, you know, raise up uh, your hand, um, your right hand, if it's the, that would be the Skan Kohen Gadol, or your left hand, it would be the Rosh Beit Av, you know, to say that this is, um, Hashem's name is in that, is in that hand, and then that would go to that ghost, right? That's basically the way it lies, lines up. So then, so how does he do this? He puts the two lots Meaning these two, again, these these things that have the name of either Hashem or Azazel, he puts them on the goats. Omer, Lashem Chatat, and he would say to to Hashem is the Chatat. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Chatat Lashem. Rabbi Shmuel says he doesn't have to say Chatat; he just has to say to Hashem the kind of korban that it's going to be is going to be a Chatat. You know, once you know that that that's the one going to Hashem. And they answer after him and they say, Blessed is the name of God. Um, may his glorious kingdom, you know, reign forever. Um, okay. So that's the Mishnah. Now, there's a there's a bit of discussion in the Gemara on exactly what is going on here in terms of this receptacle, in terms of these people who are standing next to him, in terms of who is doing the selection, right? So and that's where... I think it gets a little bit interesting. The Gemara says as follows: Lavali taraf bakalpi. 
Why does the Kohen Gadol have to mix the lots in this receptacle, this, this kli, this vessel that's going to contain them before he draws lots? I mean, there's only two in there, bouncing them around in there. What's the difference? It's not going to make so much of a difference, right? But the idea is to make sure that it is truly by chance, by randomness, or, you know, you could say by God's selection, as opposed to the Kohen Gadol, um, you know, choosing with intent which hand goes where, right? They want to make sure that he can't uh, stack the deck, so to speak, right? That this has to be um, truly random. So fine. So they, you know, mix up what's in the what's in this receptacle. And then when he takes it out, when he sticks both hands in, he takes one in each hand, then he is not, he, he doesn't have the room in there even to find, like to fiddle around and figure out, oh, this is the one that's got the name of God on it. Or not. So Amarava Kalpi shall It was uh this vessel, this Kalpi thing, was made out of wood. Vishilcholhaita. It's not a Kodesh vessel. It's not something that is sanctified. It would only hold the space of his two hands. Now, why does it matter that it's not consecrated? And why does it matter that this is the space that it would hold? Meaning, and why does it matter for that matter that it's wood? What's important about it being wood is that because it's wood, it cannot be consecrated. All of the vessels in the Beit Mikdash that are consecrated, that are holy, are made out of metal. And things that are made of wood cannot be consecrated. Why that matters, we'll come back to in a moment. Why the two hands? So, as I've said, the, the idea is that once he can put only his two hands in there, then he can't, he doesn't have any literal wiggle room to figure out which which of the lots goes to whom. Matifla Ravina, but Ravina objects to this. He says, Bishlama in Fine. Ravina accepts Rav's position that there's not enough room to mess around in there. Why, why does it have to be unconsecrated? Why can't it be sanctified? Let, let's consecrate it. <coughs> Excuse me. Imgain Havala Kalisha Rachel eights. The Kalisha rate the eights law of Dina. So you can't use a you can't use a wooden cleat to be something that is consecrated, which we've said. So make it out of metal, make it out of silver, make it out of gold. And this, I think, is a really interesting point. Um, the Gemara says that the Torah, meaning the halacha here, has mercy on Bnei Israel that they don't have to cover the cost of making this um, receptacle for drawing lots out of something that is going to be, you know, silver or gold, which is much more costly than making it out of wood. But the moment it's out of wood, then it can't be consecrated. The point here being, it doesn't need to be consecrated. It just needs to be functional. And you want to make it something that could be consecrated. Well, then that will tax, literally will tax B'nai Israel with a, you know, with a requirement to cover the cost of it. And so the answer is, well, no, the Torah is not going to, is not worrying about that for this thing. And it can be made out of wood. And that's really just fine. And then, and I'm, you're Dan, I'm going to hand this over to you in a moment. Matnin de Loki Haitana. The Gemara says, no, there's another, there's a Breita that says, this is not, that the Mishnah is not like this other Breita. What does it say? The tiny Rebbe Huzo Mer Mishum de Rebelezer, Haskan Koen Gadol Machnisinia Dav Bakalpi. So this says that the Skan Koen Gadol. And the Rosh Beit Av, together, they would put their hands into this receptacle. 
Rosh Beit Av, Omer Lo Lechoin Gadol Daber Milach, meaning the idea is that either one of these two gentlemen, they both put their hands in, one of them will get the one that has the name of God on it, and then they have to, again, defer to the other, which is going to be um, which goat right to the right or to the left will be the one that is designated as the Korban Chatat Hashem. What I find particularly interesting here, of course, is that this bright says it's not the Kohen Gadol sticking his hands in, rather it's the two others, right? The the Skan Kohen Gadol and the Rosh Beit Av. Now, why this was be the Brighta as a rationale, I imagine actually that it comes from, you know, a different, really different view of the procedure. But of course, the the Mishnah sides with this idea that no, the Kohen Gadol does this, right? He's the one who's drawing the lots, and he is the one. He yes, they jumble them up, even though it's only two. Yes, we take great care to make sure that it should be random, but but it's not going so far as to have two different people drawing the actual lot. You know, I what I thought was interesting about this box is that it's not considered to be a Kli Kodesh, that somehow they dot but want to say it's not part of the Avoda and it's not something that's Kadosh. Um, and I still couldn't really figure out, I re- sort of read that passage a couple of times, like why is the lottery piece not part of it? And I understood it because I think the piece of the Avoda or what relates directly to the temple is sort of the bringing of you know one goat as the as the korban chatas and one sending it lazazel but I, I don't know and did you have a good sense of like why wouldn't you make the lottery part of the avoda like the, the gemara really got stuck on that point i mean i think it's essential to the avoda i think it just the receptacle here doesn't have to be kodesh and the reason it doesn't have to be kodesh is literally according to the gemara anyway it's literally designed to cost less money Right, but you're spending money on so many other things, and I don't know. It, I know. So about that, that, so was, that... Like, it was interesting. It, it didn't totally make sense to me. So the only thing I wondered up here is that, you know, is this really just some kind of, like, bowl, or is there something more complicated about this thing? Because this Kalpi. Because if it's really just, let's say, a closed... Uh, not maybe not a bowl, but like a jar, let's say, that has enough room to stick your two hands into, then I agree with you. Then it seems like, really? Like, how costly was this going to be? But I wonder if there wasn't something more sophisticated about the actual, you know, the actual kalpi, the actual item, in which case making it out of metal might have actually been a more intricate intricate and more um, costly procedure. And maybe that really is a, a mercy on B'nai Israel to not charge them. I, that you know, that's an interesting idea, but I, there's still something about this this passage that doesn't totally make sense to me. Um, I want to move on to uh, what comes afterwards, which is uh, one of my uh, one of my favorites, which is <laughs> a whole long passage about Shimon Hatzadik. We've mentioned Shimon Hatzadik before, um, and we'll see a little bit later on in the Masachet. I believe it's on Dav Samach Tet. We're going to have the other very famous story about Shimon Hatzadik. So Shimon Hatzadik, if we remember. Uh, is, you know, according to Perkei Avos, um, in uh, chapter one, uh, Mishnah Bet, uh, Mishnah two, is Misharei uh, Anche Knesset Hagdola, right? It's fr- from the remnants, from the end of Anche Knesset Hagdola. And we know that Anche Knesset Hagdola was this period of time where um, sort of we transition out of being led from prophets, there's no Navua anymore. And, you know, just keep that in mind as we discuss this passage about who exactly 
Shimon Hatzadik was. So he's basically an important Kohen Gadol um, from the from the uh, second Beit Hamidrash, from the second temple. Um, there is some controversy over who exactly he was because there's two Shimons who are mentioned. Uh, there's like the first Shimon and the second one. Um, and so the first one is like 310 to 290 or 300 to 273 BCE. The second one is 219 to 199 BCE. Um, and so it's not exactly clear uh, which one uh, he is, but most people think it's probably the second one. So, so living somewhere between 219 um, to, one, uh, to 119. He's mentioned in Josephus also. Um, and then, you know, again, when we get to coming attractions, to Dab Samartet, um, we'll see a great story about Shimon Atzadik. So what are the things here we learned? Tana Rabbanan, Abraim Shanash Shimei Shimon Atzadik. So Shimon Atzadik was the Kohen Gadol for 40 years. And remember, we had also had, uh, we had learned earlier about the Kohen Gadols, of how many different Kohen Gadols there were uh, during, you know, the second Beit Hamidash, and that there were many, many of them. And it was clear that the Kohen Gadols were obviously dying almost once per year. But Shimon Atzadik was one who had a very long tenure. Haya Gorel Olav Yamin, Mikan Ve'elaf Pamaim Olav Yamin, Pamaim Olav Bismol. So this is going to go through this brisa, a list of miracles that happened only during the time of Shimon Tzadik and then ended after he was no longer the Kohen Gadol. And the first one that's mentioned, which relates specifically to what the Gemara is discussing here, is that this lot, right, always the one Lahashem, always ended up in his right hand um, and never in the left. But after Shimon Tzadik died, right, after he was no longer the Kohen Gadol, um, then it could sometimes be in the right hand and sometimes it would be in the left hand. And again, this is important because the right hand, as we saw from other passages here, right, with the opinion that maybe the Skan took one, you know, took one, um, took one of the lots with his right hand and then the Kohen Gadol took the other lot with his right hand. The right hand is always considered to be much more important. Um, and so therefore the fact that the, the appropriate, the better lot, the one that's La Hashem, uh, always ended up in Shimon Hatzadik's right hand was considered to be a miracle, and that stopped after he was no longer the Kohen Gadol. And then the um, the scarlet thread, right? That that's that that's the the crimson wool that's going to be tied to the head of the goat that's going to be sent Azazel and always turns white, right? And we know this from a pasuk in Yeshayahu, um, from Parak Aleph, Pasuk Yudchet, chapter 1, verse 18, right? It talks about how their sins are going to be crimson and then become white, right? Always turned, always turned white. After the time of Shimon Tzadik, sometimes that, that wool would turn white and sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, the western lamp um, of the manure would always burn, right? As a sign that Hashem was always there, a part of the Beit HaMikdash. And afterwards, sometimes it would burn and sometimes it wouldn't burn. So again, some of these are the miracles that all took place when Shimon Atzadik is the Kohen Gadol. And the other thing is that the wood that was put on the altar always burned. All the Kohanim needed to do was bring those two logs of wool, of wood, excuse me, and it would burn the whole time. They didn't need to add wood to it. That, again, was a miracle, because how could it be that you just had two logs of wood that would basically have a strong fire continually for 24 hours? Um, and then afterward, you know, just so they would basically just do the mitzvah 
of bringing this, of arranging the wood. Afterwards, sometimes the fire was strong, sometimes it wasn't. And the priests, you know, would basically have to bring wood throughout the day to keep the fire going. Um, and then uh, they go on and also explain the niche lacha bracha ba'omer ubishkei halachem ubelachem hapanim. There was a blessing that was on the omer offering and the two loaves that were brought from the new wheat. Remember the omers brought from the new barley on the second day of Pesach, the new wheat, which is the the uh, the shtei lachem that is brought that we you know that was brought on Shavuot and the lachem hapanim, right? The 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 showbread that you know was brought weekly. And what was that? That any coin who ate just a kazayas of it, he ate it and he was satisfied with it. And there were some even who ate it and left over. They had left over because it was just so filling. Because, you know, if you think about it, when they describe how these were divided up amongst all the kohanim, there's no way that was like enough food for the, the kohanim. Like you could almost picture it as like, you just got your tiny little morsel just to say that you ate it. And so here it's saying it's not just that they ate it, they actually were full from it in the times of Shimon full. Right? But afterwards, there was basically a curse put upon it, and each priest would get the size of a bean. So in other words, it wasn't even enough that they could get a kezayas. Hatsinui moshkin et yedehen, Right? the sort of the, literally the more discreet ones, or let's say the holier ones, they would withdraw their hands because they wouldn't even want to take the bean because it wasn't a kezayah, so you didn't really fulfill the mitzvah of eating this, right? And the sort of ones who were very hungry, they would take it and eat it. And there was a time where somebody actually came and stole somebody another coin's portion and then they called him a ben hamsin a robber until death um so you know very interesting then the gemara goes on to explain how you know ben hamsin is a robber i'm going to skip that part but i think the idea is, is to show that shimon Sadik, who's sort of this transitional period and is the end of the um he's basically the end of the anshe knesset Adola, that the idea of sort of having a real presence of god having real miracles ends with the time of Shimon Atzadik, it ends with the times of Anshay Knesset Agdola. And after that, we just don't see that same presence, that same type of miracle, that same, uh, you know, seeing God really as part of the Beit HaMikdash, that just doesn't exist anymore after the time of Shimon Hatzadik. Um, and then finally, they tell another story here. Tana Rabbanan, the year that he dies, Amar Lahem, he says to everybody, he says, Bishanazo who made. So again, he's like a prophet in a way, right? This is really the end of prophecy. He says to everybody, this is the year that I'm going to die. Amrlo, they say to him, how do you know? Amar Laham, he says to them, Bechol Yom HaKippurim haya, Mizdamenli zakena chadlavush levanim v'atuf levanim. Nichnasi mi v'yatsa imi. So every year in Yom Kippur, when he would do the Avodah, and he would go into the Kaddish Kedoshim, there was an old man, right, whether this is an angel or, or somebody who would go with him, right, some type of being would go with him who was dressed in white, and he would go with him into the Kaddish Kedoshim and leave with him. 
But this year, right, when he went into the Kaddish Kedoshim, this old man was wearing black, right? Like as a sign of, of, of mourning. He went in with me to the Kaddish Kedoshim, but did not leave with me. And after Sukkot, right, that's what the regal's referring to, he was sick for seven days and then he died. And the last thing that was changed also, and again, I think this makes sense, is that once he, um, uh, once, you know, Shimon Atzadik died, uh, the other Kohanim, when they would give, do Berchas Kohanim, they would really use Shem Hashem. But once he died, they would no longer use the actual Shem Hashem during Berchas Kohanim. And again, I think this makes sense and shows the significance of what was actually lost by the time Shimon Atzadik died, that this, now we enter a period of time where the presence of God in the Beit HaMikdash is just really not there anymore. And if we don't have that presence of God anymore, we can't really invoke God's name in the actual name of God, right? Like we, we almost in a way, we're not allowed to say it. And I think that's what the Kohanim were sensitive to um, afterwards. So I think there's two very special things going on here with Shimon Tzadik. I mean, first of all, that story about his death is, you know, eerie and powerful. And the fact that he was able to understand exactly what was happening and accept it wholeheartedly, I think is really, you know, very impressive. But that's part of it, right? Meaning he himself was this very impressive person. And so that on the one hand, we've got the miracles, which is a nationwide um, necessary component of the Beta Mikdash until it was no longer necessary because, you know, we were no longer at that level, whatever you want to say. And the other is Shimon Hatzadik himself, that he himself, it's not just that he was, you know, the, the last to have the miracles there, but he himself seems to have been really a paradigm of what it means to be the Kohen Gadol in all of his glory, right? There are stories about, I don't remember where this story is, Yardina, maybe you know, there's a story about Alexander the Great encountering Shimon Atzadik, right? That's there's, what I'm talking about. That's what's coming up on Yoma. Oh, that's where it is? Okay, that's I apologize. I don't want to give it away. Now fine, just fine. gave it away, yes. Fine, okay, <laughs> I apologize. But, but right, meaning he himself was... You know, I, I feel like I've mentioned this in the past that in the Navi, right, David Hamelach, King David becomes the measuring stick by which every future king is judged. That doesn't mean David Hamelach had no flaws. It means that he did righteously in the name, you know, in the in the ways of God, he didn't commit idolatry, etc. Right. So there. So I feel like Shimon Sadiq, even though he's at the end, he becomes our shining model of what we think of as, you know, the righteous Kohen Gadol. Right. And um, we'll that doesn't mean nobody nobody right. else is. You right. know, it just and means it that he be, becomes the... It's Sorry, it'll be significant why he meets Alexander the Great. So that is a very important coming attraction. I think once we read that story, we'll refer back to this stuff of Lamed And then I think we'll get a full picture because what's interesting about Shimon Atzadik and what the Gemara chooses to tell about him, it's not just who he was as an individual. He represents the end or the transition of a very important period of time of right. sort of God's presence in this world. Um, right. And that we enter a very different type of relationship with God's presence in the Beit HaMikdash and of worship and of observance. And, and I think that's really the key of what's happening here. And we'll see more of that in the next story as well. Excellent. Now, I just want to bring us back to the halacha for one moment, because you you had asked about the, the kalpi, right? Is this... Isn't this part of the Avoda? Why isn't it part of the Avoda? And Ravianai 
you know, he, he anticipates your question. You know, after all of the story of the Shimon Tzadik, when we move on to Amud Bet, it says, Amar Vyanai, Aliyat Goral Mitoch Kalpi Makevet. Meaning the idea that you could, if you don't use this copy, if you don't use this receptacle by which you're going to choose the lots, then you are messing with the avoda. It is considered an indispensable aspect of the avoda, at least according to Rav Yana's opinion. You know, there's going to be a dispute, obviously. And Rav Yochanan says, well, no, it's not, it's not indispensable. Because he could designate the goats without using a lottery if he, for some reason, didn't have the kalpi. But the idea that it is not kodesh doesn't make it not part of the avoda. I said that backwards, right? There's too many um, negatives in there. Let me say it properly, right? If you, um, if you, sorry, if you use, as long as you use this kalpi, it doesn't matter what it's made of, or it doesn't matter that it is made of wood, it is nonetheless an indispensable part of the avoda, at least according to Riviana. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page, and until tomorrow, go and learn. 